chapters 11 and 12 of the book of Genesis. They can be found on page 4 of your bulletin. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah is still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Noha. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Noha and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of, wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and you, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all people of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Let's pray together. Let's ask God blessing, God's blessing upon this time. God, we trust in you for this moment as we hear your word, that you would make it uh, come to us with power, that we would hear from you, that they wouldn't be dead words upon our ears, but they would be living words in our hearts, bearing fruit in our lives. So we ask for your presence, and we pray that you would use uh, this weak vessel, this servant of yours, uh, that you would overcome my weaknesses and limitations, and that you would do something supernatural uh, for the sake of the people here, every person longing to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's a story that has recently impacted you? Uh, maybe it's a story that you read in a book, read about in an article, uh, maybe saw a movie recently that moved you, maybe something that you heard in conversation with people. Maybe it just ter- took 30 seconds to hear, or maybe 30 days to read. But isn't it true that a well-told story is a powerful thing? A well-told story is a powerful thing. And so maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to us that one of the Bible's chief means of communicating in our lives is through story. Through story. We're starting a new teaching series today, uh, moving to a different part of the Bible than we've been in in recent months. We're moving to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. And we're going to focus on chapters 11 through 25, looking at the story, the true story of the life of Abraham, the life of Abraham. 
It's an incredible story. I don't know if you know it, if you're familiar with it, if you've read it before, if you care to hear more about it. But it really is an incredible story about a man who, in response to the call of God and the kindness of God and the promise of God, a man who was called to leave everything familiar, everything comfortable and secure, to leave everything that used to give him an identity, country, people, father's household, in order to follow God, in order to find God, or maybe rather be found by God, to experience the favor of God and to play a central role in the extension of God's love to all people everywhere in the world. We see this, of course, in these well-known verses in the 12th chapter of Genesis here in the middle of your passage. Verse 1, verse one and 2, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we'll be looking at those verses more closely next week. But as we're just going through this brief introduction of the story of the life of Abraham, maybe already you're asking, what relevance, what possible relevance could someone who lived 4,000 years ago in a time and a culture so different from my own have to my life today and the things that I'm dealing with today? Well, let me ask you this. Do you ever find yourself searching for a place that you can finally call home? Or do you ever find yourself searching for a people that you can call your own, looking for a deep sense of belonging? Do you? Well, Abraham did. Do you ever feel like you spend your life in sort of a waiting room? Not quite having what you want, or who you want, but trying to wait patiently and sometimes not so patiently. Do you ever feel like that? Well, Abraham did. And when it seems like God or maybe life in general is just taking too long or, or maybe moving too slow, have you ever decided just to take matters into your own hands? And to run with it yourself, only to watch life and relationships start to fall apart precisely because you did. Have you done this? Abraham did. Do you ever wonder if trusting God or believing in God at all is supposed to feel impossible? Well, Abraham did. And what is faith anyway? How much do you need? And how do you know you've got some when you do? Do you ever wonder these things? Well, Abraham did. 
Abraham wondered. Abraham persevered. Abraham grew in his grasp of what it meant to trust a God who promised to be everything to this one man and through him to the whole world. And it was a process. This was not a perfect man. This was a flawed man who grew in his trust and grew in his faith and grew in his grasp and knowledge of who God was. One scholar in summarizing the story of Abraham wrote this. He said the plot of this story is driven by Abraham's struggle to trust God in the face of a series of conflicts testing his faith. So not a perfect faith, not an immediately mature faith, not an overnight faith, but a progressing faith, a growing faith. Continuing, his faith develops as he trusts God in spite of a childless wife, famine in the promised land, exile in a hostile land, the kidnapping of his wife in pagan king's harems, an ungrateful nephew who seizes land for himself, war against mighty kings, family strife between rival wives and their children, his own withering body, and death itself with the promise unfulfilled. Abraham's story is a story of walking with God in the trenches of real life. Your life. My life. It's an exciting story. I'm excited for this. We're going to be doing this for the next several weeks, several months. Something that you can do is to go ahead and read through it all. Genesis 11 through Genesis 25 in your own time. If you'd like to just start rehearsing that story in your mind and heart, you might actually get more out of our time together each week. For today, for the next few minutes, and we'll be brief today, I want to focus on the beginning part of today's passage, which you might actually be able to describe as Abraham's sort of before-they-were-stars kind of passage. You remember that show that was around a couple decades ago before they were stars where you would get a little glimpse into who these celebrities were before they became the well-known celebrities that they are. And we see this continuing thing in different parts of life in TMZ and Entertainment Weekly and all these different things, things I love to read. Uh, We love it. Seeing the high school picture of that well-known actor or rock star back in high school with a mullet and the braces, right? And making that connection. Or we love hearing stories about people like Harrison Ford knowing that he was actually a carpenter before he was Indiana Jones or Han Solo. Or stories about Kurt Warner understanding that he was a grocery bagger before he was a Super Bowl MVP quarterback. Or Whitney Houston, I don't know if you noticed it, but how many of the retrospectives and stories upon her passing involved poignant tales of her as a little girl, a young girl, just starting to sing in the church choir. People that knew her before she was who she became, Whitney Houston. And we love these stories because we're always curious, aren't we? Curious about how did they get from there to here? How did they become what they are now from what they once were? And so if we pose that question, this is some stuff that we find. Who was Abraham before Abraham was Abraham? 
Or if I could ask you, what, what would you actually expect to find in his life before he was a star? This great man of faith who epitomizes the life of faith in the entire Bible. What would you expect to find of this one who received untold favor from God? This one who was used as an indispensable instrument of the extension of God's kindness all around the world. What would you expect to find in his past, in his story? Who was he? Well, you might say he must have had an extraordinary past, lived an extraordinary life beforehand, surely to be qualified for such a task. Maybe he levitated occasionally. Maybe he really did some great things. Well, the answer is no. He was actually a pretty ordinary, real-life guy. We understand from this passage that Abram was one who lived about 2,000 B.C., so about 4,000 years ago from today. I can give you some of the background on the historical basis of understanding that he really did exist and that he really did exist around that time, the second millennium B.C. He was originally from a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. This is mentioned in verse 28 and verse 31. Ur was located in what is now southern Iraq about 186 miles southeast of present-day Baghdad. We're told in verse 27 that Abram had a father named Terah. He had two brothers, Nahor and Haram. We also find out that Abram had a wife. We're told in verse 29 that her name was Sarai. Technically, we're going to find out more about this, that she was actually Abram's half-sister. Uh, the daughter of Terah by a different mother than Abram's. So maybe you didn't know that Abram and Sarai was actually from uh, Alabama. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. We have some folks from Alabama here. A different time and a different place. (laughs) Then the murmurs continue. A normal guy. A normal guy, an ordinary guy living a normal life. Then you say, well, then maybe, maybe what was extraordinary about him was that he must have had a pretty easy life. Maybe nothing that would have rattled him, made him question God's goodness. Right? Maybe he trusted God so well because life was so good. Maybe that's what it was. Well, actually, no. We see little clues here that Abram's life was full of brokenness and pain. We're told that one of his brothers died prematurely. In verse 28, we're not given many details, but we're told that while his father Terah was still alive, his brother Haran died tragically. And even the way the author notes that it was while his father was still alive kind of underscores the tragic nature of this thing. And so Abram took in Haran's son, Lot, his nephew. We see a lot of Lot. He's mentioned in verse 27 and 31, but we're going to hear a lot about him, no pun intended, in the coming chapters of Genesis. But not only his brother's death, I'm sorry, I'm like all over the place on this, aren't I? (laughs) Not only his brother's death, but also his wife's struggle with barrenness and infertility and childlessness. 
Sarai was unable to have children. Verse 30, now Sarai was barren. She had no children. And so you can imagine the heartache, the frustration that comes with infertility. Some of you have gone through this. Or maybe some of you just the longing, the hope for children one day, presently unfulfilled. And I do understand that today, today especially on a day like Mother's Day, that it can really be painful for some people. Grace to you, sisters, if that is part of your story and your experience on a day like Mother's Day. In our modern time, there's much sympathy and care, rightly so, for people that struggle with this. In ancient cultures, however, it really did symbolize human hopelessness to be barren, uh, to be cut off from history and to not have a future. It, it embodied so much more than, and it does even today. Uh, but brokenness was not a stranger to the life of Sarah and Abraham. And so you say, okay, maybe he didn't have an easy life, but maybe it was his personality and his preferences and things that just kind of clicked in naturally for him. The way that God wired him by his nature that made it easy for him to follow God and do these radical things for God and to trust God and to receive the favor of God. And especially when God called him to leave everything and move to this countryside and to go out into the middle of nowhere... Maybe it was just easy for Abram. For some people, it just comes naturally, doesn't it? The answer here is no, not for Abram. Abram was a city dweller by nature. Not an on-the-go nomad like we often picture him being. Yes, he did live in the countryside later on when he left, followed God. He did tend sheep and livestock. But it was a costly decision that he made. His following God costed him a lot because he was by nature an urban dude. What we know about Ur, where Abram probably was born and also grew up, we know from archaeological investigations in the 1920s and 30s that uncovered incredibly well-preserved evidence that this was an important city, with a very highly developed urban culture and sense of commerce. About a quarter of a million people lived there during Abram's days. There are these great city walls that protected the city. A central palace, a temple complex, homes, well-carved out streets, a harbor on the Euphrates River, River right next door. Schools, libraries, well-preserved literature, even student exercises and teacher evaluations that have been preserved. Sophisticated weavers who sold up to 12 different grades of cloth. Raw materials from India that would be imported all the way across the world. Jewelers who worked in gold and silver, mother of pearl, copper workers, carpenters, shipbuilders, potters, leather workers. This was quite a city that he lived in and he let it all go. And not only that he moved from his natural dwelling place to a quite different kind of place, but he did so at a very old age. Don't know if you noticed, but Abram was 75 years old when he finally responded to the call of God in this way. 75 years old. 
Some of you are closer to that, maybe past it. Some of you are well below that. But you can understand the change in scenery and setting and the uprooting, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally in the comfort zones that are created decade after decade in the routines and patterns of life and everything that feels natural in a family setting and relationships and home and my armchair and my favorite TV shows and the things that make me who I am, all of that being uprooted, pulled out, sent out. No, there was nothing natural and just preferential and just built into Abram's personality that really accounts for the way in which he rose up with great faith and received great favor from God. Okay, so maybe it wasn't an easy life that made it easy to trust God and maybe it wasn't just a wiring issue of his personality and who he was, but he must have then at least grown up knowing God Knowing the God of the Bible, growing up in a religious home, having good religious education? The answer there, too, is no. I don't know if you know this, but Abram was a plain old Mesopotamian pagan, an idol-worshipping individual from an idol-worshipping family. We know this about Terah. The book of Joshua, chapter 24, later on, tells us that Terah worshipped other gods. This was the story of Abram's family. In fact, all the names, or most of the names that are listed here in the story, are names that are built off of Mesopotamian gods. The name Terah itself sounds like the Hebrew word Yarah for moon, the local moon god. Actually, Sarai's name itself probably comes from Sharatu, say some scholars, which means princess, the mistress of the moon god, Nanar, or Sin. And Milka, this other niece, Akkadian for queen, is the title for the goddess Ishtar, daughter of the moon god. Haran, this town that they stopped by on their way, was actually the center of moon worship, which might have been why Terah was interested in stopping there and not moving on, continuing on in pursuit of the promise of God. Look, what am I getting at here, folks? This is what this before he was a star passage is telling us. This is what it's saying. Abraham or Abram didn't become great because of good choices he made, He became great because of God's choice of him. Abram wasn't blessed by God because of something he did in the past. He was blessed by God because God didn't actually look to his past or his present. Abram didn't grow into great faith because he took great initiative with God. Rather, His faith grew simply because he was responding to a God who took great initiative with him. Do you see this? There is nothing in Abraham's story, in his past, in his upbringing, in his background that would ever qualify him for this great place in biblical history as a man of faith, great faith. A man who found favor with God, great favor, generous favor, untold favor. A man who was used greatly in the mission of God, a great instrument 
a vital instrument in the story of redemption. There's nothing in his background, in his story, in his yesterday that qualified him for this. Rather, it was simply the grace of God, the unearned favor of God, the kindness of God that came to someone that did not deserve this place in this story. Abraham's story, friends, is a story of the grace of God, the unearned kindness of God. I received one of these recently in the mail, and I don't know if you get some of these yourselves, but from a bank, a credit card company, offering me a credit card. And uh, I don't know if you get flooded with these. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're struggling financially. You know, it wasn't too long ago that I used to look forward to getting one of these because of some struggles I was going through. So if that's your story, I'm with you and I understand. I'm not flaunting this in front of you. But we get these in the mail. And what do they call them? These uh, little offers because you have been pre-selected for the City Diamond Preferred card. Pre-selected or pre-qualified. You know, this is when they go into your history, credit history, life history. I don't know what kind of history they get a hold of now. They have it all. Somebody owns it all now, right? No. And they decide in advance that you are up to par. That you deserve it. That you would pass muster. They've already done that homework. They've evaluated you and you are lining up to every standard and you are pre-qualified and so an offer comes to you saying you want to sign up. Well, friends, a lot of times we think that this is how God works in the way in which he shows his kindness, his favor, and the way in which we respond in faith. See, we tend to think that we need to be pre-qualified to receive the kindness of God. That there has to be something in our past or our background or something that we've done, even in the recent past, just recently, that we've done for God that's going to impress Him, that's going to win Him over, that's going to earn His blessing to us. And this passage reminds us, and it's something we have to keep reminding ourselves again and again and again, that the story of Abram is that you do not need to be pre-qualified to receive the favor of God and to have great faith in God. It comes by grace. Here are two quick implications, and then we're going to close. I wonder if it'd be a good thing for all of us to take some time in the coming week to look at our stories. If you are a Christian today, someone that is following Jesus, walking with Jesus to take some time to look at your story and to look back and to see all the ways in which your story uniquely illustrates the power of God's unexpected kindness to you. What do you see there when if you look at it closely, you can say to yourself, wow, and God still loves me. And wow, and God still hung in there and persevered with me. And wow, I was really resisting God, wasn't I? And wow, what an unlikely person I am for God to esteem and honor and put his loyalty upon and put his love upon. 
You know, one of the signs that you are getting the grace of God is that you're starting to develop a sort of humble sense of humor about the kindness of God in your life, where you're able to even laugh in a sense and say, can you believe it? I can't believe it, that God would be kind to me, me of all people. Do you believe it? And to even be able to swap stories and share with one another and say, I'm the unlikeliest of all people to know God in this way and to be forgiven in this way and to be rescued and saved in this way. And if God can do it for me, He can do it for you. Because there's nobody that's beyond His reach because He's never looking for pre-qualified people. But rather, God qualifies those whom He loves. That's how He works. I wonder if it's a good time for you to look back on your story and to notice little signs Surprising signs of the grace of God in your life, in your past. And then also to notice, is there anything you think, tend to think, pre-qualifies you for faith and favor? You know, where you look at that thing and you conclude, look, that's right, I've got pretty good credit with God. I've earned His offering. And He's pre-evaluated me, pre-selected me, and He said, look, you've passed it muster. And so I'm coming near to you. Maybe it's your personal morality. Maybe it's your social conscience. Maybe your family heritage. Maybe it's your personality. Or maybe it's your high social standing. Whatever it might be. What are the things that you tend to point to and say, this is why God is near to me. This is why God loves me. When in fact the story of Abram and the story of God's grace is that the only thing that God ever points to and says, this is why I love you, is when he points to himself. Because the grounds of God's grace is always simply his own character, his own love, his own promises, his own nature to be a God who doesn't look outside of himself for reasons to bless and to be kind and to love Because if he looked for that in you and me, he would never find it. But rather, he generously gives and gives and gives. And if you're someone who's looking into the person of Jesus, and maybe it's been hard for you, and maybe thinking through the things of the Christian faith has been a struggle for you, and maybe you feel disqualified from genuine faith, or the favor of God because of your background. You know, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I'm looking out at other people, and you must have grown up in a religious home to get this, to have the faith that you have. Uh, I didn't. I grew up in a different sort of home, so I feel like I'm at a disadvantage. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, you all must really have a pretty easy life going on. Uh, Things must be pretty good. You just don't know how hard life has been. The struggles I've been going through, And how hard it is for me to believe that God might be good, let alone that he might actually exist. Or maybe you say, you know, you you just might be naturally wired to follow God, and that's just not my wiring. Well, we saw none of those things apply to Abram. This story should encourage you, dear seeking, searching friend. That God can write a new story and write a new chapter in your life doing something completely different from what has been the case for you in your relationship with God up to this very point. 
because Abram was worshiping other gods and came from a family that was religiously inclined in a very different direction. And he did live a life of intense brokenness and pain and suffering that would not dispose himself to believing in a good God, perhaps. And did not have a natural wiring that gave him bold faith to want to just follow after God. Because for all we know, he would have rather preferred to have stayed in the nice, big, wonderful city of Washington. No, Ur. Right? Friends, the story of Abram should give you hope too. The searcher, the seeker. To know that God is not looking for people that are pre-qualified. But even with you, that he can enter in now and do a new thing, giving you a new beginning, new forgiveness, new life, a new relationship with God, a new start, a new sense of mission, a new sense of significance in this world, new courage, new boldness, new fearlessness, new humanity. Don't you just want to be more fully human? This is what God offers to us in Jesus. You too. So for all of us then, the story of Abram, this pre-story of Abraham, before he was a star, before Abraham was Abraham, gives us a great view of the radical grace of God grabbing people that have no business of being cared for and treated like this, with kindness, generosity, and salvation. That can be all of our story as well. Do you see it that way? Ponder that this week, and we'll come back and continue the story. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the life of Abraham. We thank you for not only his example, but the way in which his life points us to Jesus and all that Christ has done for us. Uh, We thank you for the ways in which we are um, beneficiaries of Abraham's struggles including his failures. But we thank you for the ways that we know in advance you're going to speak to us and teach us and woo us and embolden us in the coming weeks. Uh, We trust in you, God, and we ask that you would change our lives by the grace of your gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.